Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Rosie, thank you very much indeed. I've, I've been really nervous about tonight, and that's quite unusual. And I, I feel that sometimes that's what happens when God gives me something that is, is difficult to say or important to say. I'm not quite sure if that is the case tonight, but I just leave that with you. I've been really on edge all week as I've been thinking about this realizing that it goes to some quite uh, profound truths about who we are. Uh, so uh, please pray for me that I'm able to speak uh, God's word. So let's just be quiet for a second and ask for God's help. Lord God, we pray for your help now. And we pray uh, that you would anoint my words and all of our ears, uh, that we would hear your spirit teach from your word Please, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Something just to get you going. Um, so just maybe with the one or two people around you, uh, just a little question to begin with, which is this. When, during your normal day, are you most completely yourself? So just turn to the people left or right. Just, a minute. just when, during your day, would you say you are most completely yourself? Good answer. Great. Okay. Um, we haven't got time to take answers from the room. I'm sure there's some really interesting ones. Um, tonight we're going to be looking at the phrase, be yourself. Uh, be yourself is a short, snappy uh, summary of an attitude to life. And we're going to explore it uh, together tonight uh, from a sort of Christian uh, point of view. Uh, be yourself uh, means uh, that you're not conforming to expectations. Uh, you don't want to be cloned. 
You don't want to be like other people, and you don't want to be bossed around uh, by other people. Uh, now, for people of my generation, uh, but, uh, the, the choice was, do I want to be Han Solo or one of the stormtroopers? And of course, the, the answer was always obvious. I want to be Han Solo. I don't want to be like those guys, there's just like 10 million of them. I want to be me. I want to be individual. I want to be uh, someone who stands out from the crowd and is different. Be Yourself is about the thrill of self-expression, about self-discovery, about knowing what my true gifts and passions are. Be Yourself is about confronting lots of things, traditions. Uh, it's about confronting potentially family and the expectations of our family. It's certainly about confronting institutions uh, that exist. It's about uh, confronting potentially religion and the expectations that the, the church or religious institutions might put upon us. And ultimately, it can be about confronting God himself if necessary. Because the most important thing is for me to be free. And so if be yourself is the way you live your life, then often that leads you to confront anything that might seek to, to uh, shape your life. If be yourself is your guide to life, it makes respect absolutely crucial because we require other people to respect our decisions, our likes, and our dislikes, and to accommodate those and to make room from them, for them. And lastly, be yourself makes tolerance a really high virtue, tolerance of other people's quest for freedom wherever that may lead them. And lots of people have been really helped by thinking in this way. I was thinking this week about who are the most likely people in life to tell you, be yourself. And here, here's my thoughts on that. Uh, you might hear it, might you, at a year six final assembly. Uh, and as you stand on the edge of puberty and adolescence, maybe the head teacher in year six, as you go out into the big bad world of secondary school, uh, says to you, be yourself. Uh, you might have that as career advice from school or university, encouraging you to find the role, the path that is really you. And certainly I've seen the opposite of that, and I've talked to quite a few people who've said to me, you know, when I was at school, the careers person said to me, you haven't got much hope to do anything, you're not going to amount to very much, it doesn't really matter what you do. So we might see that someone who's trying to advise you about how to shape your path would rightly say to you, well, be yourself. Find your passions, find the things that you're good at. You might hear be yourself from a parent or a grandparent, but because they've seen you grumpy in the mornings or withdrawn or cocky, they might moderate it to be your best self. Uh, because, you know, to be honest, they've seen you at your worst. And so it's not quite as simple as be yourself because they're worried potentially that that might mean you let yourself down. Uh, be yourself might be said uh, by someone who's trying to sell you something someone who's trying to sell you clothes, uh, or a lifestyle, or a place to go on holiday. And the, the message there is, uh, be yourself by being one of the 10 million people that wear this scent, or buy this t-shirt, or carry uh, this bag. And so it's a great way for people to sell us stuff. It says, be individual, express yourself 
by buying this thing that 10 million people in the world have as well. Be yourself. We're going to look a little deeper and see how good a guide to life be yourself is. I think there are some fantastic things about it, but I think there are also one or two problems, and we're going to address both of them. Uh, then after that, we're going to hear from Jess and Fiona about two characters in the Bible and what they would have made of all of this. And then finally, Jack, Louise, and I uh, are just going to have a public discussion uh, that we love you to eavesdrop in uh, on uh, some of the things that follow on from this. Let's look at one or two of the problems about be yourself. The, pro the first problem is if we're honest, we don't really like ourselves. That's partly what we look like. I doubt many of you said that the time that you felt most yourself was the time that you looked in the mirror in the morning. We live in a cruel and an unforgiving society that does indeed try to squeeze us into feeling that we look all wrong. And so many of us don't like the way we look. That's why for me it's very liberating as a Christian to carry an inbuilt respect for every single person because they are made in the image of God and to realize that while the human gaze may dwell on the externals, God looks at our heart. That is truly liberating to see the world in that way. But the heart, of course, is the issue. We have damaged and scary bits of ourselves that we keep locked away from other people. Uh, just think about what that means for you. I don't know what you're hiding from most of the world, whether it's anger or fear or bitterness or loathing or rage or lust or insecurity. You know what they are. We can't deny that those things are there in us. And so we ask ourselves, how can I be myself if I'm such a mess? Well, we change that a little bit and we think, well, can I just be the nice, loving, strong, confident person that I long to be and keep the rest locked away? But of course, the trouble is with the rest is that it affects all of who we are. And the problem goes deeper. If I think about the people who've hurt me and the people who've damaged me and the people who've neglected me, a lot of the time, they were being themselves. That's all they were doing. They were being selfish. They were looking out for their own interests. They were living for themselves. And I got caught in a crossfire. So when people live solely for themselves... It doesn't make our world a better place. And if we're honest, then we, we have hurt and damaged other people by being ourselves and by putting ourselves and our desires center stage. It also doesn't help that we don't really know or understand ourselves very well. We change our minds all the time about almost everything, what we love and what we hate, what we aspire to be. 
the people that we look up to, the vices uh, and virtues we consider that we want to avoid or copy. And all of those things can change three times in a week for any one of us. So how can I be myself when I know there's lots of different versions of me awkwardly cohabiting in one heart? We seek meaning and value and community and purpose in some rather odd places, and our heads are really easily turned by shiny new thoughts or by shiny new things. So we don't really understand ourselves very well, so how can we be ourselves when we don't particularly like ourselves and we don't particularly understand ourselves? Not always, but sometimes be yourself can be a way of living that leaves God out of the picture, or it only brings God right in, right at the end. And so it might work like this. We work out who we are, what we are, what we like, and then we decide whether or not to invite God into our world. Now, if there is no God, that makes perfect sense. Then spirituality can be uh, one of the many personal decisions that we make about what we value. But if God is real, if God is the creator of the universe, if we live in a world that he created and that he gave us to look after, then leaving God out of the picture about who we are or only bringing in God right at the end seems like a dreadful idea. Surely God is where we start that journey of self-discovery. So, is there a better way? I think there is. And as a Christian, as I look back at my life so far, I would say it's more honest and more hopeful to say not be yourself, but become yourself. And the Bible is, is full of people for whom this is true, and Jess and Fiona uh, shortly are going to share two of those. But of course, there are so many other characters in the Bible for whom that's true. When we look in the mirror, what do we actually see? First of all, we see someone who is uniquely gifted. Uniquely gifted and created in the image of God. So each one of us, different, each one of us unique in the giftings that we have. We are, we are as individual and as beautiful as a snowflake. No two snowflakes ever the same. We are an awesome, one-off creation. And each one of us has gifts and opportunities, and friends, and experiences that truly mean there is no one like you. We also see someone who is uniquely broken by sin, and greed, and self-will, broken through the neglect, or the unkindness, and the cruelty of others. For Christians, this is never a shock to discover that about ourselves or about other people. That knowledge that there is this scared, hurt, difficult bit in me and in you 
That never shocks a Christian. We don't have to cover it up. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, says Jesus. It's the sick. It's the people who aren't okay. And that is every single person here. That's why the cross is at the very heart of Christian faith. Because we believe that when Jesus came into the world, it was not simply to tell us some interesting things or to point the way back to God. But in a sense, it was to grapple with and to take in on himself the ugliness, the shame, the pain, the greed of humanity. And to take that all the way to the cross and there on the cross to carry it all the way through and past his own death. You cannot surprise Jesus either by your hurt or by your shame because he has plumbed the depths of what it means to be a human being and to see the full force and horror of evil. That's why the heart of Christian faith is at the cross. Jesus calls us to true freedom. And he teaches us that we find true freedom not in a life of total autonomy, where I do whatever I want, whenever I want. Because actually we find out that that is bad for me. It's bad for the people around me. And it's bad for the world that God loves so dearly. The actual path to real freedom comes in turning back to God and celebrating and recognizing his love and his mercy. And that's why for me and so many people here who are already Christians, Jesus' parable of the prodigal son is in a sense our story. It's, it's, the, it's the parable that makes most sense because we've had that moment when we thought, you know, why am I living in the pigsty? Why have I run away from my father? Why am I estranged from the one that I love? And we get up nervously to return to him, rehearsing our speech of forgiveness. And what do we find? We find a father who's so crazy in love with us that he's been scanning the horizon all this time. And instead of letting us come to him, he comes rushing to us, opens his arms, and embraces us. That is freedom. That is love. If I decide just to be myself, I get stuck, or I get obnoxious, or I get insufferable. If I decide to become myself, become the person God made me to be, I start to see that I become complete and I discover his will for my life, his will for my gifts. I find my potential and I find all of those things with God and alongside God. What I want starts to change and what I want slowly becomes to serve his world as the unique person that I am. There is a very strong argument to say, 
and Andrew said it when we were talking just now, that the time that you are most truly yourself is when you are about prayer and worship. That is the moment when we are most truly ourselves because it's in that time of prayer and worship, whether it's in a community like this or quietly first thing in the morning on your own as you walk to uni or to school, that's when you see God and you see the world and you see yourself most clearly. That's when you see that you are supremely loved. And that's when you see the broken bits. And that's when you see the way you fit into the body of Christ. Those are the moments when you see the hurting places of the world that only you can fix. Because there are, there are places of hurt, big and small, that you are uniquely prepared to go and to be Christ in. And I find that we see those things most clearly when we are about prayer and worship. For almost all of us, the very best way to do this is within a community of faith. It's being alongside people who know us and recognize us they recognize our gifts, and they recognize our failings. The best way to become ourselves is with people who can ask us tough questions about who we're becoming and how we're behaving, with people who see the impact that we have on others for good and for bad, and with people who know that when we are scared or when we're grumpy or when we're spiteful, or when we're gnarly, that we are being ourselves, but they still love us, and they still accept us, and they learn to be patient with us. I'd like to ask Fiona and Jess to come up if they may. We're going to hear first from Jess and then from Fiona about two Bible characters. Jess is going to talk a little bit about Jeremiah and Fiona about the Samaritan woman that we read about in John chapter 4. And they're going to, in a sense, tell us their stories and then say, so have we said to Jeremiah, or have we said to the Samaritan woman, you know, uh, it, what, what kind of advice is be yourself? Uh, what would they say? Uh, so Jess, why don't you begin? Thank you. Um, so who was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet. He was a son to a priest from a small town called Anatho. God spoke through Jeremiah from a young age to prophesy over Jerusalem. Jeremiah's prophecies included warning people of the invasion they would face from the north if they didn't follow, um, follow and turn towards God and repent for their sins. Jeremiah felt great sorrow for the people of Jerusalem as God's blessings would be withdrawn if they didn't listen to God. Their sins included worshipping false gods, which broke a covenant between them and God. Jeremiah faced scrutiny for his prophecies. He faced death threats, betrayed by his family, and he was even arrested and placed in a cistern filled with mud. Although, the, uh, although Jeremiah faced unimaginable punishments for his genuine care for God's people and his nation, 
He continued to share God's word as it burnt like a fire within him. We can use Jeremiah as a beautiful example of a faithful servant with a loving and compassionate heart. Through the book of Jeremiah, we see that God promises a new covenant where his people would know him through the coming of Jesus Christ. So for, for us Christians, we will face persecution, we will feel judged, but our faith does not go unnoticed. God spoke to Jeremiah and said that he had formed him in his mother's womb and he had set him apart before he was even born. This is the same for us. God promised not to leave Jeremiah and to be his rescuer and he promises the same for us. So our ultimate hope is in our internal life in Christ. Jeremiah is a living sacrifice, was a living sacrifice, and nothing, not even persecution, will separate, would have separated him from the love of, the, of Christ. And this is the same for us, um, to continue to pursue and share the love of Christ. Um, the Samaritan woman who Jesus meets uh, is from the offset presented as an outcast, someone who has been rejected from society. She has struggled in her relationships, not only with men, but with the other people in the village she lives in. They had rejected her because of her numerous relationships and the fact that she was living with a man who wasn't her husband. Therefore, she does all she can to avoid other people within society. She goes to the well at the hottest time of the day when no one else will be there, just to avoid the judgment of others. Meeting Jesus only highlights these feelings for her, as he is a Jew and she is a Samaritan, people from two social backgrounds that did not mix. However, no judgment or hostility comes from Jesus. Despite all that she has been through and the judgment that she feels from society, Jesus seeks a relationship with her. In that moment, God is calling her out of her situation into a relationship with him where she is totally known by him. All she has been through and done is laid bare and yet Jesus still wants to know her. He shows her the fullness of God's love, calling her into a relationship with him. This love and forgiveness frees her from the burdens of shame and judgment. When faced with Jesus and confronted about her sin, she becomes free. So free that she enters into society to spread the promise of eternal life that Jesus brings. She goes into a society that has rejected and judged her. After purposely avoiding people in her day, she then seeks people out because of the message of Jesus. Her encounter with Jesus changes her, and in turn, her interactions with people change. The love and forgiveness of Jesus and the willingness to have a relationship with her allows her to live the life that God called her to. The Samaritan woman was trying to be herself and live her life on her own terms before she met Jesus. But it was not working for her. She gave up on society and relationships and accepted her fate as an outcast, as someone who stood out and not for good reasons. She probably wanted to be anyone but herself. She was trying to find her identity and who she was without Jesus. And when she met him, she knew she was failing. In all her struggling relationships, she had lost who she was. Meeting Jesus sets her free from the pressures of trying to be herself by herself. She becomes someone who is fulfilled by the love of Jesus and therefore doesn't need the acceptance of others. She is freed from her sin and from the identity she was trying to create for herself. Her identity is now in Jesus. She didn't lose the person she was, but became the person she was meant to be through her encounter with Jesus.
Thank you so much, uh, Fiona and Jess. I'd like to invite Jack and uh, Louise to come up now. We're just going to talk around a couple of these things. Um, they're basically, just think of them as whys. Exactly. Um, you can have that one, Louise. There you go. Great. Good, good, good. Um, we're going to um, talk about two uh, particular things. Um, many of you will know that this week, one of the things that's happened is that um, the court case of Molly Russell, uh, who uh, was a 14-year-old uh, who took her own life in November 2017. And uh, there's been a court case for the last couple of weeks that finished uh, this week, in a sense, just examining what, what was going on behind uh, Molly's uh, life. Uh, Molly had viewed thousands of images of self-harm and suicide uh, in the weeks leading up to her death. Uh, many of them, uh, as you know and understand, in a sense, landing uninvited uh, in her social media uh, accounts. And uh, it's just such a tragic, senseless uh, waste of a life. And it's been very interesting that, uh, certainly in the opinion of the court, uh, the people who, in a sense, allowed that content to proliferate and didn't step in uh, to cut it out, uh, have been considered to have really let her and our society down. So two questions to Jack and Louise. The first one is this. Social media seems to make some of us love ourselves too much, and some of us hate ourselves even more. Uh, can you tell us why you think that is? I think seem is the key word. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe it does seem like that. I think, yeah, God's given us this beautiful earth to like go and enjoy, and then actually we fill our social medias with pictures of ourselves instead, um, which may seem like we love ourselves, but I actually don't think, I don't think that's true. I think behind, you know, pictures of endless selfies or, you know, pictures with your friends or whatever it is, I think it would be a similar answer for most people that actually that isn't from a place of loving yourself too much. Probably the opposite, uh, if I'm honest. Do you agree? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was telling Simon earlier this week that um, as somebody who loves taking photos, I got to a point where um, my Instagram was full of lovely photos. My mum used to joke that I only took photos as a kid of things that looked like desktop backgrounds, like we'd be at a, a beautiful landmark, and I'd be there going, all oh, these pebbles are really nice, and take photos of like some stones on the floor. Um, and I got to a point where I suddenly thought, Jack, you, you never take photos of yourself, um, or never let other people take photos of you. Um, and part of that was probably because, as a 15, 16-year-old, I didn't particularly like how I looked, I didn't think I fit in. Um, and so I had to make, it was actually a New Year's resolution, and if you scroll back to about 2015, 2016, you can see the moment where my, my feed changes. Um, and I don't think that's almost about a perspective on myself. That felt more like um, a, a memory or a, not a legacy, that makes it sound more grandiose than it is. But I think we use social media to kind of put a stamp um, to say, you know, you know, how you see the Roman graffiti that says, 
Flavius was here, um, you know, it's almost to say this is, this is who I am and this is who I was. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that my thinking was morbid enough as, you know, I would like a photo with all my mates just in case it needs to be on the front of a, a funeral flyer or whatever. Um, but that did come to play. I thought, gosh, there are relatives I've never taken photos with and what happens if something awful happens? Um, but it's about a, a memory. And I think we know that doesn't represent ourselves, but it does lead to unhealthiness when we try and work out how we represent ourselves, because we can curate that um, and we can decide who we want to be and how we want to be um, and it's why it's so big with freshers uh, you know you can decide as you come to university how you present yourself um, which yeah is it's both a beautiful thing and inherently a lot of pressure and a, and a, and a big decision to make yeah. and I think we we all know if we're on social media that it's everyone's highlights of their life you know that that's what you put up but like that still doesn't sink in like we all know that but I don't think we know that um, yeah so rather than people loving themselves too much I think it might be the opposite and I yeah I think we scroll past and think oh, why wasn't I invited to that? Or, oh, I wish I was like a bit more like that. Or, I wish my house looked like that. Um, whereas, actually, yeah, you know that's the highlights reel, but you don't know that's the highlights reel. Um, I'm going to toss in a question I haven't told you about, um, which is, you know, just thinking back to Molly, um, and, you know, there are definitely things that we want these big companies to do differently, and we would want them to behave more responsibly. Um, but for, for us in the here and now, you know, what can, what can we do when we're feeling low and sad and bad about ourselves? You know, what, where are the sources of help? Uh, where are the good places to go if that's the bad place to go? Um, I often say to, to students um, and to anybody really um, that um, something that Alcoholics Anonymous use, and I haven't done the course, I've just, I've just heard about it, um, that says that actually to really take note when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, that spells out halt, to kind of say stop, hungry, angry, angry lonely, or tired, because those are the times where you can fall into those bad habits. Um, so for Alcoholics Anonymous, obviously it's drinking, but for, for a lot of us, and we, we don't notice it, um, we find ourselves in addictive patterns of kind of doom scrolling um, and finding ourselves falling deeper and deeper into mindlessness almost. Um, and there's a, there's a danger there that we spend a lot of time um, kind of inputting very little or too much, depending on how much you're paying attention. And I think it's worth knowing that in the, in the hard and the sad, um, the affirmation isn't going to come from that place. The... Um, lifting up isn't going to come from that place. That will come, firstly, from God um, and from Scripture. And secondly, it will come from those around us. Uh, it will come from getting people to come alongside you and to chat to. Um, because when you're at your lowest, often that might come from not feeling good enough. And so going into a, an online space or any space, this, this can be a, a, about anything, um, that might just make you feel lower. And that spiral intensifies mm. until you get to, to the worst of depths. Mm. Yeah, I think overthinking is real. <laughs> um, don't do that. I just think <laughs> maybe we're just saying this. It feels like we're just saying this because we're in church. But um, I think, like you said earlier, Simon, that when you're in prayer and when you're in worship, that 
is when you see the world and yourself and God most clearly. Um, so, yeah, I think doing that, getting out of the kind of spiral um, that it can be to overthink and just be inside your own head so much. Um, even speak that out to God, just that actual action of getting your thoughts out of your head. Like, praying in silence is great. Um, but actually, I think, yeah, speaking it out um, and just going to people you trust because, um, I don't know, often I think, I think FOMO is big and we start to dislike ourselves if we're not invited to things, if we see people on social media that are together that, like, maybe we think we should be there. Just ask them, just be like can I come? <laughs> and then if they say no, then they're not very nice. And like, that's their problem. Um, I think just face things head on. Sometimes don't let yourself overthink. Go to someone you love and say, um, yeah, what do you think I'm like? Um, what do you love about me? You know, and let people build you up uh, rather than, yeah, sitting in isolation and spiraling in overthinking. Yeah, that kind of down and down that, that happens when you're kind of alone. Thank you. Last question. How, how do you stay connected to God and connected to other people without losing the plot? It's only a little question. I think we learn a lot from Jesus, right? Like always. <laughs> um, but, you know, he went to be alone, he retreated, and he just spent time with God. And if Jesus has to spend time with God alone, then I certainly have to spend time with God alone. Mm. Uh, I think that's really important because um, you, you, can't, you can't pour from an empty cup uh, and where we get infilled the most is when we're in the presence of God. So, yeah, I think that's where it starts. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things that I love... Um, is, I mean, one of the things I love is John Mark Comer, so I'm about to talk about him. Sorry, students, you're giggling at me. Um, but John Mark Comer talks a lot about formation um, and about how, we, how the way we live our lives forms us, and that can be for good or for bad. So if I spend ages scrolling on Instagram reels and feeling good about myself that I've deleted TikTok for my, you know... <laughs> Yeah, they're the same videos. They're the, they're the exact same videos. Just two just, weeks later. Just two weeks later. Um, but, you know, I deleted TikTok because my screen time was too high, and then guess what? I do the exact same thing. Um, if That's forming me. What I do forms me. What I watch forms me. Who I speak to and who I let influence forms me. Um, and so we're being formed one way or another. We're either being moulded into the image of Jesus or not. Um, and so getting practices into our lives that form us to become more like Jesus uh, will hopefully make us become more like ourselves because hopefully our identity is rooted in mirroring the image of Jesus. You know, there's, there's beauty in the fact, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, the whole stormtrooper thing, you know, we don't want to all look, like this, all look the same, but we do want to all look like Jesus. And we will all look like Jesus in our own unique ways, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It doesn't mean we're all going to look identical. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, the stereotypical Christian image will come out in all of us. Uh, but it does mean that we will reflect the beauty of who God is. There's a gorgeous part in scripture where it says the church is the manifold wisdom of God. And that word manifold is like multifaceted, like shining a light into a diamond and it goes in all directions. And actually the light of Christ will come into you and it will shoot off out of you in a completely different way than it will shoot off out of me. But that is who we are and that's how we become more like ourselves. And so 
having those habits and those practices to form us and to let the light of Christ shine into us, through us and out of us is a really, really beautiful thing. Yeah, and I think knowing how, speaking about connecting to others, thinking about how you connect to others well, I think helps. Do you, do you feel connected when you're in a room of 50 people or do you feel connected one-to-one? Um, like, don't work harder, work smarter. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't just fill your lives with people if actually one-to-ones or, you know, little group settings is kind of what, um, what makes sense for you. So I think that's helpful. Brilliant. Thank you both very much indeed. And um, if the band would like to come back, uh, please, we're going to uh, worship uh, together uh, in just a moment. But as they're coming up, just two questions that I just love you all to consider. Um, we'll just have a moment of silence together, and then uh, the band will continue in worship. But the two questions are: uh, is, the first one is, this, "Who is God calling me to become?" So who is God calling me to become? Unique as I am, uh, who is God calling me to become? And the second one is, what's getting in the way of that? Uh, So let's just be quiet uh, for just a minute or two as we think about those two things. Who's God calling me to become? What's getting in the way? Uh, And then I'll explain what we'll do next. So let's just be quiet uh, for a moment.